Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. There's anything that move. I don't get hold of him. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast. Play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're going to go into the mind of a coach today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 315. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL Network analyst and Super Bowl-winning head coach Brian Billick to talk about the process of building and maintaining a playbook. Now, this is a very, very important part of a coach's livelihood. It's a big part of what they do once they take over one side of the ball, whether it's offense or defense. And Coach Billick is going to take us through that entire process. People relate to his Baltimore teams and think of him as more of a defensive coach, but don't forget, he led one of the best offenses in the history of the NFL. Go back and look at the numbers from that 1998 Vikings offense with a couple of former Eagles and Randall Cunningham and Chris Carter, but you look at Randy Moss, Robert Smith. Not only were they loaded, but they were schematically excellent. And Coach Billick is going to take us behind the scenes of what went into orchestrating that offense and others like it right at the top of the show. Before we get going with Chalk Talk, just a couple of quick things I wanted to hit on. First up, I want to remind you guys once again to head over to our Apple podcast page, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. Keep those questions coming. You guys have done a great job all offseason long so far of filling up that comment column. And not only does that help us stay high in the rankings for people looking for podcasts about X's and O's and about the Eagles, but it also allows me to give you what all of you want. So please keep it up. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a question in the comment section, and we will keep this thing rolling. Next up, I wanted to also give you guys a heads up on what's coming on over on the Journey to the Draft podcast this week. We're talking about the best safeties in this upcoming NFL draft. I know that's a position Eagles fans always love talking about, and this draft really they've got a handful of really interesting players. Uh, Greg Cosell is going to stop by once again to talk about some of the top players that he's studying on film. And then also, we're going to go behind enemy lines for a little bit with my buddy Alan Pupar, who covers the Miami Dolphins. And he's going to give us some insight into their thought process and how they approach the NFL draft. And you may say, oh, why is that important if I'm an Eagles fan? Well, look, they're picking at number three overall. The Eagles are at number six. The Miami Dolphins, is that a team that do you think that they're going to prefer Jamar Chase? Are they going to prefer Devontae Smith? All their fans are asking the same questions that Eagles fans are asking. So that is a question that Alan and I will get to. We're gonna, I'm going to ask him about it. It's going to be on the show tomorrow. So be sure to go check that out over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. All right, all that's out of the way now. Let's get this show started. It's time to let's toss some football. Let's get into our chat now with Brian Billick in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, really excited to welcome to the show Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Coach, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you. So we want to talk to, to you about constructing a, pl- a playbook. And really, I guess the first thing to kind of get into this is uh, for the listeners at home, tell us the difference between you know, you're the big picture playbook versus what the game plan would look like on a weekly basis. How do you kind of differentiate that for our listeners? Well, yeah, there's a huge difference. And it's interesting. I'm sure the the playbook, traditional playbook, has gone through a number of iterations, obviously, <laughs> now with the digital age. Um, originally, the playbook, which too often was too big, looked like the New York City phone book uh, in the old days, um, 
was basically housed every aspect of the offense or the defense or the special teams, every uh, all, all the terminology, all the strategies, the tactics, everything that you would need conceivably that if you were a total novice could pick up the book and, and go through it and it would make sense as to who, what, when, where, and why you do what you do. Um, and you, and you always began with that. Obviously, once you get into practice and you get into training camp and then the games, the, the playbook, uh, as it becomes the weekly playbook is greatly condensed. You don't need all the peripheral materials. It is much more about here's the base that we're going to run. Here's when we're going to run it. Here's some data in terms of what we think they're going to do. Uh, and you cover a number of uh, maybe special situations. So obviously it's pared down. When I, and then when I wrote the book about game planning, if, if, you, if you looked at it like a pie chart, if the playbook or the entire, let's say just offense to begin with. Sure. If your entire offense is X, then you're likely going to take probably only maybe 60 or 70% of what's viewed as the entire offense and put it in, in a weekly basis. Mm. And, and so it, it really becomes important as to how do we fine tune? What are we going to use? When are we going to use it? Because you don't use the entire offense every, every week. Um, and so it really becomes much more narrow for the players. And you want to bring that more focused attention to here's the series of plays and when we're going to run. So it's basically just the roadmap, obviously, in terms of what the overall dynamic is and then what it is we're going to take from that on a weekly basis uh, each week getting ready for the opponent. And not to get too deep into the weeds in terms of the the game planning aspect, but how often would you tweak a play here and there from your playbook and say, "All right, look, uh, you know, maybe we want to adjust this route to attack, you know, attack one different, uh, you know, wrinkle that they've got on this coverage scheme." How how often did you tinker with that when you would put it into a game plan? Constantly, because yeah. you're going to take that base, and that's really in the teaching sequence. You hope to to teach the basic principle. Because you're not going to be able to, in, in OTAs and training camp, cover every conceivable scenario, every play you might run. Uh, so you want them to, if they can bask, uh, uh, grasp the basic concept, whether it's a run, a pass, a defense, a blitz, that they can know that to the point where now when you alter it, we're going to add this motion. We're going to do it in this personnel. We're going to alter this formation. Uh, we're going to change one component, say a certain part of the route. Uh, to augment maybe what it is we're going to see that week, that the players can carry that over and not just, oh, my God, here's a bunch of new plays. Well, they're not. They're just variations on a theme. So for, again, going back to for our listeners that maybe have never seen an NFL playbook or a college playbook, how was it structured? How did you kind of build your playbook out? You said earlier that it kind of uh, you know gave you the roadmap. If someone new could pick it up and be able to start on page one and, and take it through the entire offense, what did that look like for you? Well, you, you began just like you would probably any manual, you know, uh, uh, whether you're going to build a car or, work, you know, open up a new computer uh, program and work on it. It first begins with some of the philosophical ideas of what it is you're trying to trying to be as a team and, and, and some of the BS that sometimes we coaches <laughs> put in <laughs> in terms of the sayings and the mantras. But then you, you just take the individual components and you start with the most basic and work up. You begin with the dictionary. Here are the terms. So we're all talking on the same language uh, in the same wavelength. 
uh, and here's what these terms mean. And then you begin again, let's use offense as our, as our uh, template. It begins with something as simple as here's the huddle. Here's where you stand. Here's the process within the huddle. Here's how the verbiage is going to be laid out. So just the physical process of how do we get from the huddle to the line of scrimmage. And then, then, you know, obviously you'll go into uh, here's the, how the plays are called. Here's what each element in, in a, in a, Past play, it'll be here. Here's the personnel grouping, the formation, uh, the protection, uh, the route itself. And then you might tag it with any variations or audibles that you might have along the way. So you build each of those components, again, in a broad enough base so that the players, when you alter it slightly, can adapt very quickly. Uh, and, and that's basically what the playbook is about. So that when you now get the, the, the game plan on a given week, uh, you don't have to have all that superfluous stuff. You hope, and I, you, and I, you, hope. Line, you <laughs> hope they know how to get from the huddle to the line of scrimmage and, and they know what the verbiage is and they know what that process is to where it's extinctive. And now they're focusing just on the plays themselves um, and, and the variations you might put in. How did you have to balance that as a coach, you know, in terms of putting tags on things, naming the, the naming conventions for plays, not giving the, the players too much info, but then also, you know, being able to give them lots of different options and give you that flexibility as a coach as well. Constantly you're, you're working on that because again, we coaches, we love the vacuum and, and it, you know, cause we'll fill it. Uh, we're going to fill any void and, and via the, the John Gruden, you know, articulation of a 15 line play, uh, because it makes us sound smart, like it's a complex play. We've evolved to our coaches. You want it to be as condensed as possible. The wave now is the the uh, Sean McVay, where, where one word coding mm. is is now condensed. You know, uh, multiple meanings and formations and routes and adjustments, and you condense it to a uh, Omaha, Omaha. You know, right? It's 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 this uh, so that the players can readily communicate it. That means that you need to have obviously a much more condensed playbook. And again, it goes back to that variations on a theme. If you have, let's just take a, a, an inside zone running play. Sure. And you take in the basic concepts of the scoop blocks and the cut blocks and the aiming points and where you're going and, and all that. Um, you take that one play into the game plan. But now you do it from three different personnel groupings uh, and, and therefore three or maybe four or five different formations. Uh, you add two or three different motions. So now you have a very basic inside zone. We've run it a million times. You know what it is. You know what the reads are. You know what your assignment is. And now that might represent eight, 10, 12 different plays hmm. in the, in the uh, uh, game plan. So again, something very basic to you may look very complex and big to the defense. Coach, how did your process evolve from the, the first time you were given the keys to an offense to uh, the latter st stages of your career? When you look back on it, uh, do you say like, man, like I can't believe I did things this way? Or uh, was there, how did, how did that process evolve for you? Well, it's kind of interesting. You talk about the communication. When I first uh, took over as the, of course, I was a coordinator in, in college. But when I took over my first coordinating job in the NFL, it kind of uh, came about about the same time that the coach to quarterback communicator came. Got it. So what we found was, my God, I got to have direct access to the quarterback. I can give him 
countless information. And what you ended up doing mistakenly is reinstalling the play on every call. <laughs> All right, we're going to go train right, fake whiz, jet right, H drive, Z post. Now, remember, if it's three, we're going to go come back here to the out. But if it's quarters, don't, you know, so at, at, to the point where the quarterback going, coach, just tell me the play. Okay. You're, you're, you're making this way too, too complicated right now. Um, so once we got used to that communication, then, then obviously we learned to kind of streamline a little bit for the quarterback. So we didn't wear them out with it. Um, but it did change the play calling because now you had, you didn't have to spend as much time with either shuttling plays in or signaling and the time and effort it took to communicate to the quarterback, what you want to do. Uh, Cause you had that direct access. So yeah, initially it made it blow up too big, but then we streamlined it and got it down. At least the smart coaches did to where they, they used it for what it was supposed to be a way to streamline, to get the calls in and not wear out the quarterback. So going back to the playbook, was that a document that was constantly like a living, breathing thing that was always evolving and you were constantly tinkering with from year to year? How, how often uh, I talked, we you mentioned earlier that you were constantly kind of evolving it, but what did that process look like? And did you have a time of year where, you know, this is where we're going heavy to really kind of, you know, make some alterations to the playbook? Yeah, it is because new concepts, it evolves during the course of a year where you go, oh, gee, this really worked well. You know, and we coaches the biggest thieves in the world. You know, we'll see something on tape, we'll steal it, practice it, run it, and and claim it for our own. So yeah, there are there are and and you find better ways. Well, we mm. called it this, we did it this way, but this actually worked better. So yeah, you adjust it from that point. Um, I always tell when I do a coaching clinic, I, I, I and I don't think I have one with me right now, but uh, I've got it packed away. But I showed him the, the 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 initial playbook I had in Minnesota, you know, that great offense we had in sure. the years up there. Um, and again, it was the typical New York phone book thick type. <laughs> but in 1998, which is the year we broke the all-time scoring record, okay, yeah. scored more points than any team in the history of the National Football League, the playbook was a notebook like this. Huh. Because we had a veteran group. Um and one of the coaches aptly pointed out, guys, at training camp, these guys are, you know, hauling around these huge books. 90% of the information they don't need. Mm. We'll cover it, and they've got it, but what do they really need? So we actually condensed our training camp installation um, playbook down to a, a little bit more than a normal weekly game plan mm. and only had in there the really the pertinent stuff they needed and then we coached up around it and, and obviously it turned out okay. Yeah, there's something to be said for going to like the the in and out menu from the Cheesecake Factory menu and uh, how easy it is to kind of make those calls. When did you first start building your own playbook? Or was this like something that you worked on for years and years as you were an assistant up until you got that coordinator job? Or is it something that uh, you're, you get the job and you're like, all right, like right, let's put this thing together? Yeah, for me, it was an evolution, obviously. It began with um, um, the background I had, uh, began really with Doug Scoville, and it was at BYU and then San Diego State. Um, and, and the basic offense that we had for me, the next huge step obviously is when I hooked up with, uh, uh, Denny green at Stanford. Yeah. Now I had been with the 49ers, but I was administratively with them, uh, aware of what, and, and gathered all the things I could knowing that I wanted to get into coaching and Bill Walsh was very accommodating that way. But then I got to do with Denny. Then now we, 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 we merged it together and I had real hands-on this is this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. 
Um, and, and Denny at the time, um, we used that opportunity to kind of codify it. You know, Bill had been doing it for so long. It just was what it was. And they had their playbook. But Denny wanted to really kind of bring it together and, and quantify it and make the ultimate West Coast offense playbook from practice schedules to training uh, uh, schedules to, to uh, meeting time, the whole nine yards. So our initial playbook was not only the offense, the defense, and special teams, but it was the coaching and the teaching sequence as well, which was huge. And so that was my first real step into, okay, this is this is the real deal. This is this is uh, more than just the playbook. This is an entire and 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 what, aspiring to become a head coach. It was great for me because you could now tap into all of this and expand on it in terms of okay, this is what I'm going to do if I ever become a head coach. Um, and it grew. You know, when we we did it at Stanford, and then we got the job in Minnesota, and I went with Denny, and we hired a guy that was on um, Joe Gibbs staff in Washington, and Denny had always wanted to kind of merge the two together. People don't really realize you go back to the Coriel days and Don Coriel and all the innovations that he had, which sure. goes back to even to the Sid Gilman days. Yep. He had uh, uh, coming out of there, he had two guys, Joe Gibbs and Ernie Zampezi. Right. Uh, and then eventually Bill Walsh came through there. So the throw guys, the quarterback guys, take it and evolve it into everything we know as the West coast offense and, and the San Diego chargers and whatever Joe Gibbs, who is an offensive line coach takes it and, and, and focuses it more from that standpoint, simplifies it, boils it down from an offensive lineman standpoint. And so Denny was intrigued with the idea of bringing these two systems back together. Sure. Uh, verbiage concept, whatever. Um, you know, uh, the West Coast offense was dink and dunk and spread it out and throw. Joe Gibbs was condensed power o, uh, OTs, you know, multiple formation and shift, uh, multiple personnel. Uh, so we merged those two together. And that's how we came up ultimately with what we did in Minnesota. It was a reemerging of, of those two systems. And obviously, that's what I carried into to Baltimore when I got to be the head coach. That, that's what I was going to ask you next was what was that jump like for you when you go from Minnesota where you're working with, with Denny green, you're working with other offensive assistants. And now you go to Baltimore and you're like, all right, like this is, this is my show. Like this is my vision. Uh, what was that like for you? Because uh, obviously here with the Eagles, Nick Sirianni is kind of making that same jump right now. He's sure. at that same, same stage. What was that like for you? And what is he going through uh, as we sit here today right now? Well, yeah, it's uh, yeah. And I always tell this, the story that, uh, that, you know, you work your entire life, your professional life to get the opportunity to be a head coach and you have your manuals and you, everything that you now take into an interview and show, yes, I know what I'm doing and this is how we'll do this and this is how we'll do that. Uh, and and you go through the interview and you get the job and then you sit behind the desk for the first time and think, holy sh**, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, this is all good in theory, but now I got to do it, you know, uh, and that becomes very, very real. An important part of it is the staff that you bring together for yeah. me, and I'm sure it's the same with Coach Sirianni, is he's going to bring together key elements that are familiar with what he wanted. Mm. Offensively, for me, it was simple. I brought a couple guys from Minnesota. Uh, you had the playbook. That was an easy transfer. Defensively, I brought in um, actually my brother-in-law. I made Marvin Lewis my defensive coordinator, put an entire new staff together. But I brought in my brother-in-law, still is, Mike Smith, former, you know, eventually right. became head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Sure. Because uh, we had kind of grown up together professionally, and he knew. For me, it was all about the teaching sequence. Marvin was going to run the defense, but there's a he had to be 
uh, I wanted him to make, to, to make sure he understood the teaching sequence I wanted and how we were going to present it and how it was going to be orchestrated on game day. And Mike, having he was on the defensive side, so having grown up through the same process and he was doing the same thing in college ball, he was a great touchstone for Marvin to know, well, this is what coach wants in terms of meetings terms of practice and how it's going to be doled out and the game plan structure and then how it's going to work on game day. Uh, that's the biggest thing for right now for Coach Sirianni is, is, okay, who do I have that can get the others up to speed in terms of the process of what we're going to do? The sheer X's and O's themselves are pretty straightforward. I mean, yep. uh, I say it embarrassing. We're all doing the same thing. <laughs> we really are. Um, and, and, and so it's just a matter of translating in your mind what it is the new system is that you're going to be working with, but it's the process that you're trying to establish for the coaches and the day-to-day for the players. That's, that's the most time-consuming right now. I feel like that's a part of the process that fans aren't as familiar with for the head coach in terms of setting the tone, setting the vision. Here's exactly how I want everything to look and how I want everything to go every single day. When you're kind of embracing that new part of the role – what was that like for you to kind of push some of the X's and O stuff aside? And how did you stay uh, attached to that throughout the course of your career? Yeah, it, it is a transition because you, you are no longer, you know, we all get the job supposedly because of an expertise on one side of the ball, or the other, we're all offensive and defensive gurus. Um, but you find out very quickly, you're no longer an offensive coach or a defensive coach. You are the head coach. And it's, it's obviously, it's much more all-encompassing. Um, I always get a kick. And, and most coaches, most evolve because you're very much that hands-on, but you evolve to more of a head coach and, and delegate more of those responsibilities. And that's just good coaching mm-hmm. um, because you have other things that you need to do. I always used to joke because I was the same way when I was a coordinator. It's an all-consuming 24-7 job. And all your, you know, I used to call it the 3 a.m. rule. You wake up at 3 a.m., you're thinking about, do I put the fullback in the flat or do I block it this way? Because you're totally immersed in it. And you can't, I mean, that's all day, every day. And then you get the head job and you go, oh, I can do that and this job too. And and you begin to find out, no, you can't. Because if you're going to do that job, then who's going to wake up at 3 a.m. worrying about personnel or the cap? or uh, the physical structure of how do we get where we're going, what we're doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you've got to put a good structure together. And that doesn't mean you can't continue to call it. A lot of coaches do. Um, um, and But most evolve out to where they step back, delegate that to the others, and truly become more of a broad-based head coach. When you were going through that 3 a.m. rule process as the offensive coordinator, did you, did you have, uh, you know, were you constantly thinking of new, of new plays and new ways to uh, attack defenses? Like, was that a constant uh, at, up at the front of your mind? Oh, sure. Because you, you, because the game is changing. And, you know, these, again, I'm talking about from the offensive side, but, you know, those, those defensive guys are tricky bastards now. I mean, they, they keep coming up with stuff. So you have to, and you want to see how other people, adjust to it. And, and, and that peaks, you know, your, your curiosity, well, maybe we do this or maybe do that. Now you've got to be careful because all of a sudden you can start chasing off into different directions. You, you've got to, you've got to stick and make sure that you stay true to your core principles of what it is you think you can do and who it is you are based on your personnel. That's probably the thing that, that changes the most is that you're adapting what you do because you get different caliber players 
when as good as we were in Minnesota, when we got Randy Moss, yeah, that changed the playbook a little yeah. bit because all of a sudden you found, oh, well, wait a minute. Yeah, now we can do this and we can do that. Um, and then expands by the unique talents of the players you have. When you're you're driving to work, you wake up 3 a.m., you, you're in the shower thinking of stuff and a play or a design pops in your head. Do you feel like you were more interested in the, hey, like this is a great play for Randy Moss or for Shannon Sharp or for anybody, you know, Chris Carter? Or was it more, oh man, this is a great way for us to be able to attack split safeties or to attack cover three or man to man? How, what was your kind of thought process there? It's, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, but I'll say this. I learned early from Bill Walsh uh, when I was with Bill and eventually Denny was that, and Bill always used to say, for every minute you spend in designing a new play, a new concept, and we're all doing that. We're tinkering in this route combination or this protection scheme or this blitz or this run. For every minute you spend, I think he actually said, for every hour you spend doing that, spend five hours deciding and determining how you're going to best teach it. Bill was all about the teaching process. Yeah, the plays are significant and important in the West Coast offense, but when people refer to the West Coast offense, you're not just talking about the X's and O's. It was a, a totally encompassing process of how you taught the offense on a week-to-week basis and imparted it on the players. Uh, and that stuck with me uh, throughout. I, I, I must say, I, uh, if I were to have developed an expertise – and, and those that were close enough to it were to tell you uh, what I most lent to the process, it was that. It was the teaching sequence mm. and how we're going to get this taught and practiced efficiently during the week to then run on game day. Is that part of the process that has changed in your mind? Like if you t- when you talk to coaches that are uh, coaching the league now or coaching in college now, looking back on your days, has that been a part that has changed or is that basically the same? It's the same, but the the outcome is a little bit different in terms of because of the advent of technology. Uh, I remember, I I don't want to pretend I'm Al Gore and invented the internet here, (laughs) but I think I was the first coach to ever use uh, PowerPoint to present a game plan. And this was back in God in the late nineties or whatever, whenever that started, it was still new. And, and we were doing the, the, um, uh, acetates in the board, you know, in terms of game planning, you had reams and reams of Xeroxed acetates to put in the, the game plan. Uh, and I remember a friend of mine was the insurance business and he showed me this neat new program of, of PowerPoint, which you're a young man. I mean, you guys don't know any difference. Like, what do you mean, man? I mean, this is, <laughs> I mean, for us, this was, and I thought, sure. oh my God, for, my first thought was, wow, what a great teaching mechanism. So I spent the entire summer converting our playbook into PowerPoint presentations to be able to install for the players. And so, yes, it's that type of thing. That's what's changed, obviously, in the advent of, of uh, uh, the digital technology we have now and the, the teaching sequence that you have the players. And it was taken to a whole nother pl- level, given this last year of COVID, that, uh, that uh, yeah, I'm sure accelerated a bunch of it for coaches that found out that there's, yeah, there's always a better way to teach it. Yeah, you talked earlier about how a lot of coaches now they're streamlining, they're making plays one word, or you know, making that as as short as possible. With you, with in terms of how your offense was structured, was everything really based off that glossary of terms, or did you kind of get to a point uh, late where it was like, all right, like we're going to call this concept uh, this name, and how did you kind of go about that naming yeah. convention? And that's always an interesting uh, when you when you come together with a coaching staff from different areas. 
and whatever offensive or defensive philosophy uh, you put in, you, you always get that. Oh, why do we call this this? And and you kind of go back and 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 trace the the uh, genealogy of it, and you realize, well, it's just because that's what we called it. It made sense to someone the first right. time, and then they, they added on to it or adjusted a little bit. Uh, and a lot of times, it, it doesn't make sense. Or I should say, uh, I used the example earlier. One of the things that that I evolved to when we brought the Joe Gibbs system together with the West Coast, the West Coast system is very verbiage and memory intensive. Hmm. It, it, I don't want to say it's illogical, but a lot of it, um, to the, the famous 22ZN, strong side, curl, flat, pivot combination. On the weak side, it was, um, oh, what was it called? It, it was um, something fullback flat. Got it. And, 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 and then you eventually look at it and go, well, Okay, this is the same concept, but they're named two totally different things. You just memorize it. In the Joe Gibbs system, where he went to the numbering system for the routes, it was 816 or 6 pivot M. Okay, well, there's a 6 in there. Okay, (laughs) so I got to know, at least logically, you hope the players go, okay, there's a curl in here someplace. The 6 was the curl route. (laughs) Right. So that maybe they can connect the dots. And and so yeah, it, and 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 it used to irritate the hell out of Bill because I ended up using the Gibbs system in Minnesota, uh, the verbiage, and kept it all the way through Baltimore, and it just made him mad as hell that I didn't use you know his, stay with his verbiage. I can't believe you're using that Joe Gibb numbered <laughs> stuff. You know, it used to make him really mad. God bless his soul. Uh, God rest him. Um, but yeah, I, and I think. Even in today, though, when I when I'm visiting with coaches and I see what they're doing, very inventive and and they've they've been very intelligent about the way they condense it. Because a part of it too is with free agency, and the system has to be flexible enough that a new player coming in who you're going to count on very readily. Yep. You know, in the old days, you had the same players forever, and they knew it, and and so you know the the new guy coming in would just adapt. Well, in a in a given year, in a given season, we, you may have a lot of new players come in they've got to be able to, to translate to this new language, so to speak, very quickly. Yep. Uh, so you want it to be as logical, you hope, as possible, and as little just sheer rote memory um, uh, because that's harder to learn. Were there certain positions that it just took a little bit longer than, you know, than the average? I mean, obviously every guy was different, but certain positions you're like, yeah, you know, receivers, is gonna, it's going to take a couple of years before they get completely up to speed. Yeah, the toughest position really typically is the running back for me. Really? Because receivers are going to know where to go on the route. Right. You know, when they can catch the ball, they're going to figure that out. (laughs) Uh, And linemen, again, they're just protection. So is it we're going right or left? Do I have this guy or that guy? So they condense it pretty good. Running backs, now, they've got to be able to translate in both and understand what the linemen are calling and doing as it pertains to the front, but then what's the secondary and how does that adjust my route? And I always said, I always accuse linemen of this, but typically if there's a line, uh, an identification problem that comes up, linemen goes, well, let the back do that. 
because I'm down a three point. I can't see anything. Make the well, the you know now. So you're you're pushing all the difficult problems back to the running back. <laughs> so yeah, actually, oddly enough, running back. And then on the defensive side, again, the linebackers are the one. Defensive yeah. line guys know when they stunt and where they go. And secondary, although secondaries have become very very complex as well because of the way they adjust to personnel formation. They may have three defensive calls in a single call based on the personnel formation and if strength changes with motion. And so there's a lot of rocking and rolling going there. Over the last few years, this will be the last question, Coach, and I'll let you out. What was the What's the biggest change that you've seen from an X and O? Obviously, everything is recycled, but has there been one th- aspect of the game where you're like, man, like this is a, this is a lot different than you know from when I was coaching? Well, very there's very really relatively few things are new in this game. Right, exactly. They're, they just tend to recycle. Um, and we've gone through an evolution of where, remember when quarterbacks used to call plays? Yep. To then when the coaches with the Tom Landry era took over the play calling, got enhanced when we had the quarterback to coach communicator. But because of the multiplicity of defenses, we're seeing more and more where we're putting that on the quarterback. May not be a totally call your own plays, but there are usually multiple check with me at the line Mm. because it's very hard to call a static offense when defenses are so multiple and and adjustable to what you're doing. So you really want that guy on the field to say, oh, they did this. Okay, I'm going to go to the the kill system that you'll hear, you know, kill, right. kill, kill, or the Omaha, Omaha with Peyton Manning. And 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 Peyton took it to a whole nother layer level when he'd come up and orchestrate different route combinations from one side to the other of the formation right. on yeah. every play. And, and so you kind of go nuts with that, and then you kind of reel it back in. Um, you saw it in the Super Bowl. I loved it. It was great to see. You could see Byron Leftwich and, and Tom Brady communicate. At one point, Tom was looking at back at the sideline, going, "No, no, no! Give me, give me this personnel." Yep. I want, and the minute they did, you could see, "Okay, so you want to run so and so?" That's just that's just good relationship. And they under, you know, they got into that rhythm of what the others thinking. You see that with Drew Brees and 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 Sean Payton and the coaches that have been together for a while with a quarterback. Uh, certainly Brady and, and, and Josh McDaniel when they were together for all that time. So it, it's evolved into much more of a give and take and much more flexibility and much more uh, kind of doing it on the run offensively than we ever did back in the day. Well, Coach, this has been awesome. I've had you for a half hour. I could have you for another three. Uh, really appreciate you taking a little bit Glad of time for us here uh, right. to talk through the playbook process. Glad to do it. Well, great stuff there from Brian Billick, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Coach Billick. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce with Eagles Entertainment. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. But the best way to support this show is to go into Apple Podcasts, maybe go on Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out today to someone who did just that. SRM Chef left a five-star review saying, Fran, Great show. Love all the knowledge you share. I'm curious about the tight end position. Knowing that Nick Sirianni has a receiver development background and has utilized the tight end position heavily in the past, how do you see Dallas Goddard growing? Will he be a focal point in the offense? Also, can you touch on players like Hakeem Butler and Tyree Jackson and their strengths and weaknesses when it comes to developing into the tight end spot? So, uh, Chef, that's a good question. And I guess I'll take this kind of two twofold. We'll f- first talk about Dallas Goddard. I think when you look at Dallas Goddard, 
He's got all the tools to be an extremely productive tight end in the NFL. Not only can he be a two-way player as both a blocker and a pass catcher, but you watch him as a route runner. He's gotten so much better from day one to now. And also, just at the catch point and then afterwards, you know what he can do with the ball in his hands. He's got that X-play potential at the tight end spot, and that can be really hard to find. So I think when you look at his role... Look, when you talk about production and things like that, that can always be tough to project, right? Because, number one, you don't know what this offense is going to look like, how it's going to be structured with Nick Sirianni in his first year as head coach. We don't know how that's going to look. We can just look back at what he's done in the past. Yeah, the tight end, that's been involved really wherever he's been. And I think when you just listen to him talk, He's always going to try and find ways to get his best players the ball. That's what the best coaches do, and that's what he has preached really since he's been hired. And I think when you look at Dallas Goddard and look at the rest of the, the support staff here uh, you know, on this Eagles team, and you look at the receivers, you look at the backs, you look at the tight ends, Goddard's going to be one of the best players on this roster moving into 2021. So, yeah, I would expect him to be a, a pretty you know, heavy part of this passing game, of this offense. So I would look at that as part number one. Part number two, when you ask about Hakeem Butler and Tyree Jackson, Look, when you're a a tight end, there's a lot going on because you have to be uh, a part of not just the run game, but also the pass game. So when you look at Butler and Jackson, those developmental players, Butler was a uh, a really good receiver at Iowa State, uh, and Tyree Jackson was an all-MAC quarterback, an all-conference quarterback at Buffalo. Those guys have to really kind of get caught up to speed on a lot of different things from a mental standpoint before you can even get into uh, putting your hand in the ground and winning as a blocker and all of those different things. Outside of just being a role player, a spot player that can, you know, hey, you come in in the red zone, we can throw you a fade, kind of like what Hakeem Butler was, uh, you know, last season, right? We remember the Giants game where he played a handful of snaps. That's what those guys are going to be able to do up until they're completely up to speed. Now, it's up to them how fast they can get up to speed, and it's up to the coaching, the guys that are uh, in charge of getting those guys ready. So, It's going to be a two-way street. How long will it take those guys to get ready? We'll see. Uh, And ultimately, we'll see what the competition is like in that room as well. But with Butler, with Jackson, you've got to get better. Number one, as a blocker, you've got to figure all that out. But then number two, you've got to understand how to run routes. It's not just, uh, hey, I'm I'm more athletic than you. I can just run past you. You've got to understand the subtleties of how to attack leverage and how to create some separation. There's technique involved. There's mental processing involved. There's a lot of things that go into being able to be a good NFL route runner. So uh, Butler, Jackson, will have to show they can do that. Butler's got more receiving chops, obviously. Jackson might have a little bit more in terms of being able to read coverage and, and those kinds of things. That's the benefit of being a former quarterback. We've seen guys make that transition over over the years uh, you know, around the NFL, um, both those guys, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. They're developmental players right now, um, but that would be what I would watch for them, uh, Whether whatever the spring looks like, but then obviously getting into the summer with training camp, keeping an eye on Hakeem Butler and Tyree Jackson. So SRM Chef, great question. With that question now out of the way, the queue is empty. So if you've got a question, now's the time. Jump on Apple Podcasts, leave that in the comment section, and guess what? If you've got an idea of you know something that you want Ben and I to focus for scouting report, this week we're doing all of Travis Kelsey's catches from this past season, just kind of getting an idea of how he was used and the traits that go into uh, the elite at that position. Now's the time. Go on Apple Podcasts. Leave your request right there in the comment section. Leave us the rating, and we will uh, get to it here in an upcoming episode. So thanks so much to SRM Chef for the question. Thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here at Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.
In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.